0: Father you say as the Father, or Jesus you say as the Father sent me so I send you. You open up your word that that would be a word that we would love to know more about. How are we sent by you? Why are we sent? What are we sent for? What is the purpose for our being here? Lord, will you walk through some very familiar tracks that we have walked along for years and maybe there are things that you want us to relearn so that the church around the world would be able to exercise mercy ministry in every church. And would you be able to use me and each one of us as instruments of mercy that break down strongholds and release treasure. So Father, we pray that you would take us further and deeper into the things that are on your heart for us to hear today. And may we not be afraid of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about the church as it's growing up in Acts, and today we're going to spend a bit of time with that phrase that Jesus gave to his disciples, which was, as the Father sent me, so I send you. There's no question in the Western church in, that I've grown up in, that the predominant message of the church and Christian gospel has been, ask Jesus into your life and then visit him on Sundays. No question that we have invested enormously little in pursuing Jesus so that he actually can use us and impact through us. That if somebody says, like I said, I'm going to go to college, I spend three years at college or five years or whatever, and I invest enormous amounts of time and money, but when it comes to Jesus, well, we visit him on Sunday and we kind of sort of do something, and our impact shows. Uh, we're afraid, we're afraid to speak this is not a rebuke, this is just an acknowledgement of a reality I think for most of us and I think God just wants to say you know there's a lot more and as I sent my disciples who were far less educated, far less wealthy, far less prepared, far less knowledgeable than any of us in this room if I sent them and they were so effective what would happen if I sent you well I do send you So we're going to explore that. If you look at the end of uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, those Gospels, the three themes that come out of them, where Jesus says to them, I send you out there with authority. And I send you out there to do miracles, signs and wonders. And I send you out there with power, the power of the Spirit. And so we hear about the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples of all the earth, in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the Western world, making disciples means Bible studies, and 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 And then a Bible study. I'm caricaturing, take this with a sense of humor, but God's Word did not come to this earth as a Bible study. God's word as the father sent me so I sent you how did the father send me the father sent me giggling and squirming in a little crib in a place in the middle east in a stable a place that you wouldn't expect to find god and it's been like that ever since that god i've used this phrase often i love the word is counterintuitive if i think he's going that way he's probably going that way And if he's counterintuitive, you know what the good news is? That intuitively I think he should be angry with me and shouldn't like me at all because of all the things I've done. But counterintuitively he actually delights in me and loves me and actually invests a lot in me. As the Father sent me, so I send you. The church that Jesus came into, or the world that Jesus came into, had already got the Old Testament Written word, it had been down written in some form with, for the last 200 years. And then it, it had been worked on a bit. But it was basically the canon of the Old Testament it was, was in place long before Jesus was born. They also had a very well established church, they had a huge temple. There's, that's a wonderful study in itself. Because God says, unless I build the house, I will, I will destroy the temple. And the temp- we'll, we'll do a study on this one day. But the temple in Jerusalem that was built by Herod was destroyed as soon as it was finished. And if you ever sat next, been to Jerusalem and seen the size of those temple blocks, you would never dream that anything like that could be destroyed. A bit like the Titanic. One iceberg under the waterline, gone. The temple was destroyed completely. When Jesus was risen from the dead, we totally underestimate how spectacular that resurrection was, the power of God. He came into the world where there was a solid Old Testament scripture, there was a solid church in place, there was solid leadership in place, solid religion, solid ritual. It was a place that was, it was a world that was a mix of politics and religion. There was a lot of political activity going on. There were various groups. I'm not going to spend time on it other than to mention them. The zealots who were looking for military power, for looking for overthrow of the Roman dictatorship. The Roman authority was huge. Like America, probably. That's what it probably felt like. Except they were really in your face more than the Americans. And I mean by that, they were, you know, they were occupying your territory and telling you what to do on your doorstep, everywhere. And that was a mixed blessing because it also gave a huge area of so-called peace for things to happen and communicate. There were a lot of positive things that came out of that, but it was also pretty awful for those who weren't Romans. The Sadducees were a wealthy, uh, were a wealthy group of the uh, uh, religious leadership who, who, whose motto was really compromise. Whatever we need to do to get on with the Romans, that's what we'll justify. So they were wealthy, they were self uh, absorbed in many ways, looking after their own little branch, and they basically wanted to keep everything nice. The Pharisees were sort of idealism idealists, they they were very, very spiritual, they get a bad name, they were actually really sincere, genuine, they just were spiritually anal I suppose, I mean they just wanted to have everything right, do it by the law, to a point that it killed everybody who had any hope of trying to find God, there were too many rules. And there were trade routes running backwards and forwards across the Middle East. There was lots of activity, lots of cosmopolitan stuff going on. And the church was, and and Jesus said, go into this world. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So what did Jesus do? Jesus lived in a world that was as confusing and as tense and probably more violent than ours. What did he do? he really didn't do a lot. He wandered around. He never went within 200 miles of where he was born. That's probably exaggerated by 50. He walked everywhere. And if he hitchhiked, he'd probably only get a camel or a horse. And he wandered around this sort of lake called Galilee, and then he went up the mountain to Jerusalem, and then he wandered back by Nazareth, and then he wandered back round to Capernaum, he took a boat across the lake, and he wandered back up to Jerusalem and he hung out in Nazareth for most of his life as a carpenter's son. And this scrawny, long-haired guy changed the world. I mean, that's historical. You go to any university do history, they talk about Jesus. He changed the world and he still changes the world. I was talking to somebody over coffee this week and they said, they were talking about some of their intriguing exploits in the past years and uh, said some of the people they'd been involved with were deeply spiritual, you know, they believed that uh, God is whoever you want him to be and stuff. And as soon as Jesus was mentioned, there was a reaction. You want spiritual truth, just mention Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, just hang out and start mentioning his name. You will see reaction. So, as the Father sent me, I send you. What does it mean? Because the excuse you and I make is I'm not educated enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough, I'm not and you go, Well, what do you need to be? I mean, how good do you have to be? How wealthy do you have to be? How educated do you have to be? How what's the answer? There's only one answer, which is, just got to be willing. You see, it's not about you and me, it's about God working in you and me. So the bottom line is, who are we going to serve? And that's it. And our lives are about allowing Jesus to be Lord, and that's it. (laughs) Of my personal life, of my family life, of my history, of my future, of my money, of my time. Now you're not going to, and I'm not going to, want Jesus to be Lord if I don't know Jesus. That's about as exciting as agreeing to be married to somebody you've never met. It becomes a theory where you you never get to meet the person, but you've got to act as if you are. You know what I mean? And we have all these quick fixes, I mean you read thousands of books today, DVDs today, hype today about come to Jesus and da-da-da-da-da, he will do and he will do and and we're all disappointed by that because the reality is that power and life is only found in one place and that is a daily walk and relationship with Jesus, just like with the disciples. And there's no quick fix, you can't do what you like and top him up with Jesus and have any power, you'll just have frustration and then be called hypocritical and then you'll just have to agree. There's no rocket science in this. You see the engagement of God, God's Word became flesh for one reason, that was he wanted to impact human hearts, not human minds. Human hearts that are wanting to hide tend to jump into the mind. And in the mind I can discuss and philosophize it but I actually don't do anything. I sound quite respectable, and I, quite, I sound quite open-minded, but open minds usually are flat plateaus where nothing really lives for long. So Jesus wants to call our bluff sometimes and say, I'm really, you know, that's what he said to Nicodemus, he just said, unless you get born again, and he said, what do you mean? I can't understand it. And Jesus didn't say this, but if I was Jesus I might have said, well you didn't understand the first time you were born, why bother about understanding the second time? What I'm saying is, unless you're born and the Spirit of God is growing in you, just as it's grown in you physically and mentally, you cannot see the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God is here. This is a multi-dimensional reality we live in. So, as I, and you, you know, get used to this language, because it's absolutely what we're talking about. We live in a prison camp. We live in Egypt. We are all prisoners by default because we live on this planet. We are all polluted, infected, all the rest of it. That's why we gravitate so easily to self-preservation. And so, and so often we react to things of God because we are skewed in our thinking. So Jesus came into the world and the first thing he did was, or well, one of the things he realized was that he, he, he needed to understand his context. And what was the context of the world in which Jesus grew up in? The context of the world with Jesus that grew up in is the same as this context, which is this is a prison camp. He came into the prison camp, or he parachuted into Egypt if we like, and he lived as a free man. So he's, he understood that he was part of a war. Let me try and remind us in a very simple way. Imagine, if you will, which is a stretch for you, that I'm God. And I'm holding the earth. And I create the earth and it is good. And I create Adam and Eve and I put them on there and say, Now behave, don't eat of that fruit fruit tree, because you will die. Well, onto the earth slithers the snake, and that's a philosophical reality that we could spend some time on some other time. Or ask Dave or Brad. Um, And evil exists, and evil basically says... What do they say? The same thing he always says and he always says to you and me. He didn't really mean that. He won't really die. Eat of the fruit. He's just jealous. He's just cramping your style. Boring. All, all the rest. So, they eat. Munch, munch, munch. For lunch. In Eden. It's pathetic, isn't it? But, as soon as, soon as soon as they do, as soon as they've eaten of the apple, what happens? As soon as Adam and Eve say yes to Satan and no they didn't know it was Satan but we know by now I hope that Satan's not going to come up to you and say hi I'm Satan (laughs) he's going to come up and say hi
1: (laughs) in whatever way will seduce you
0: and I'm not going to go any further than that because it brings out the worst in me and I'm trying to smack that down so rebuke that right now he will come to you. There's no need to love as lovely as that bear, right? <laughs> um, as soon as Adam and Eve say yes, and they take a bite out of the apple, what happens? The world is taken over. He holds it. Because remember, when God had Adam and Eve here, in harmony with him, he said to them, I give you dominion over the whole earth. When they betrayed God, they actually gave over dominion over the whole earth to Satan. So Satan sits, he's not on an equal footing with God, but he takes hold of the earth and he says, okay, it's mine now. And it is, legally it's his, because they betrayed him. And that's what separated us from God. And so ever since then, God's creation has actually been like, it's been like being hijacked by Hitler, if you want. If you want a visual aid of what evil is really like, take Hitler, take the concentration camps, take everything you've ever heard of that, and spiritually, that is a cakewalk compared to what Satan is like. Relentlessly, relentlessly, relentlessly. If if Satan had his way, he would take you and dismember you bit by bit and put you in a fire. I'm not trying to frighten you. And if, if you're not sensitive, Jesus didn't come into this world to hold our hands and say, Hey, how are you liking the prison? Sorry it didn't work out. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't playing a game. He came back into that world that had been polluted, into the Holocaust, if you like, and said, you are being lied to and you have been hijacked and this is not what my father intended and I am coming to do something about it. And he was the only person in the Holocaust camp to live free. And what was the secret? He said, don't you understand something? You are only prisoners in this Holocaust camp because you think you're prisoners. You've lost touch with the Creator God. That's what sin does. But as soon as you get reconciled to the Father, as he said to me, rip apart the shirt that is the prison clothes. Understand that you are not a prisoner, but that you are a child of the living God. And you are actually restored to a relationship with the living God who had initially created this place before it was turned into a prison camp. And then what happens? All the prison guards, that jailhouse rock was fun, but the words are very profound. What happens? The jailhouse and the jailers are totally dependent on the fact that you don't understand your identity. Because what happens spiritually, as soon as you know that you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you just stand up and say, I am actually a child of God. And they go, oh shoot, who told them? And they become powerless. And you can walk out. What do do you think Paul and Silas, what that's about? They're in jail, they sing in jail and they sing praises to God and an angel comes and opens the jail. That's a very powerful spiritual truth. And we have been held captive for so long. I mean, hey, you're talking to POW big time. I am so ticked off with that. and I'm so angry with that because the church that I grew up in just shuffles you around from prison camp to prison camp. There's no freedom. There's no message. There's no good news. It's just, well, die and then God will be with you. And Jesus came to say, as I, sent, as I was sent, so I send you. What do I send you to do? I said, to proclaim freedom to the captives. How do you proclaim freedom to the captives if you don't have any freedom? What is freedom? It's not on this earth. This earth is a prison camp and will be all our lives. As I said the other day, some of us are investing in the prison camp as if this is where we're staying. Do you realize everything that's of value in this prison camp is hard work and is very, very fleeting? You mine gold down here. You have to dig down, you have to mine it, you have to refine it, you have to get it into something that you can use that's purified. In heaven, how is it described in Revelation? The streets are full of gold. You don't have to mine it. Everything of value down here has to be mined, including the character that God wants to form in us. So we either fold our tent and say, I'm just a prisoner and life is lousy and that's it. Or I begin to say, I don't have to stay here like this. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. What does the world look like in Satan's hands? Just spin the globe and you'll see. Wars and rumors of wars, identity, everybody has to have an identity. All this fighting in the Middle East is about identity, identity, power and money. America's not altruistic, Canada's not altruistic, we we have good points, but basically power and money, corruption, self-preservation. It's all about fighting, it's one big unhappy family. When Jesus came, he said, the boundaries don't exist in God's kingdom. There is no Canada, there is no America, I couldn't care less what you call yourself. My kingdom is the kingdom, period. I'm not asking you whether you like that. I'm proclaiming it. Canada's sending boats and going up to the North Pole to proclaim sovereignty. Well, that's what Jesus did. He came and he planted his cross and he said, this is mine and we're not giving it up. And if we took it by power, we'll annihilate the human race. So we have to do it this way. My ways are not your ways, your thoughts are not your thoughts. So the invitation, the good news of Christianity is you are a child of God, you are a prince of the king, you are not a slave, you are not a prisoner. And the only way you are going to be free is knowing your identity. So Jesus came to lead us into freedom. That's what the promised land is about. The promised land is about walking into... A land that is occupied and taking authority over that land bit by bit, which is our lives. The promised land is Egypt. The promised land is duking it out with Pharaoh and not being scared of him, because he has been defeated. The promised land is knowing my identity. That's what he did through Moses. Some of you say, I'm scared to talk to people. You're only scared because you don't know your authority and you don't know your identity. And then you have a caricature of what you think you're going to have to say. And Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go out and preach to people. I want you to love people. And when they're sick, I want you to pray for them. And when they're broken, I want you to draw them to me. What does it look like? Well, wait for winter, which we've just got a long winter, I think. Um, and some, some of the lucky ones fly off to Hawaii And they stay in Hawaii for two or three weeks And they come back And what's the first thing you can tell about them? They've been in the sun They've got a tan And you're jealous And those who don't go on holiday Go and get a spray can from Walmart And pretend they've been on the holiday Which is really sad Or if you start sneezing you, you, Somebody says, oh you're getting a cold In other words, you manifest signs Of where you've been and the company you keep What's the signs of having lived in the prison camp, do you think? Anger, brokenness, selfishness, despair, mistrust, and you could name the, the list. Our New Year's resolutions are resolutions that come out of the prison camp. We all know we, that's where we live. That is our default position. It's not about, oh, I am not, you are. You and I are deeply rooted in a prison camp mentality. That's been our life. It's not our fault. It's the circumstance in which we grow up. And Jesus comes into that and says, that is not the truth. That is the deep position because of hostile enemy uh, attack in the environment, if you like. So the Hawaii of the spirit, the tan of the spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And it's not spray-on. We try, but it's easy to take spray-on off. Because if you think you have peace that passes understanding and you get irritated the first time anything happens, I guess that's not real cool peace, is it? Or patience, or love. Our default position is blame. You made me. And then we fill in the blank and walk off self-righteously, praying to Jesus for something. And he goes, what's your problem? Go to the cross and deal with you. If you want to be free, get free. But get deep. Stop fooling around on the surface. Get deep. It's much more fun in a perverted kind of way. It's like training. But as I learned, I wandered in the desert for seven years, blaming everybody, including you. Just getting over that. And you know, it might be true, but it doesn't make any difference. At the end of the day, Jesus says, well, that's a prison camp. What did you think you were going to get, caviar and the Mediterranean? If you want the chains taken off, come to me, I do that. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. Did you think you weren't going to get hurt? Do you think you're not going to get crucified? Do you think you're not going to be disliked by some people? What's your problem? What did you think was in this? Do you think there's special treatment for you? I'm building your character. I'm preparing you for some place far better than this, where the streets are of gold, but here, stop trying to, don't try and build your mansion down here. This is nothing of what I was going to say. So, that sort of is. So as the Father sent uh, me into the prison camp, I send you. You need to know your context. In other words, there is a battle going on. Some of us put our heads in the sand and say, no, no, I don't like that talk. So ugly. And that just means Satan's got us completely because he just says, they don't, don't even worry about them. They can do their Bible says because they're absolutely powerless and useless anyway. So they can just have a little huddle and they won't impact anybody. Imagine you come into the prison camp and you've got a box of penicillin. And everybody's, there are a lot of people who are infected and, and uh, suffering from disease. You wouldn't use the penicillin if you didn't know what it could do. So you could have Bible studies about penicillin for five, 15 years, 20 years, and pray for the Lord to heal people. And he goes, I'm trying to tell you to open the box. And there are instructions inside. And then he spent another five years doing workshops and, well, should we open the box? Because the disciples didn't have a box to open. I don't believe in opening boxes. The Lord, please heal. And the box is there. This is coming off the top of my head. I mean, but, and so maybe we eventually open the box and the box has got instructions in it. And some say, well, I want to know what to do before we open the box. He says, you know, you do it step by step. It's called faith. And eventually you find the gifts to healing are right there. They've been there all along. And then you have all the penicillin. You say, thank you so much, Lord, for the penicillin. We bless you for penicillin, Lord. Thank you so much for penicillin. Seven other Bible study next week in a workshop for six months on penicillin. And people are dying and dying and dying. You go, well, penicillin needs to be injected into people. Oh, I don't do that. I hate the sight of blood. Penicillin never gets used. People die. And we go to heaven and say, Lord, why didn't you do more? He says, well, I gave you all the resources you needed. But you were so into yourself and your insecurities and your fears and your theologies that you actually didn't appropriate anything I gave you. Do you know you could have laid hands on those people, you could have injected them and they would have been healed? But you couldn't break through your fear and insecurities and nobody got healed. So you just gave me lists. And I said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So what's the problem? The problem is you and I are like syringes that go, I can't heal anybody. And he says, listen honey, the syringe carries the medicine. The jar carries the treasure. You carry my spirit. Get over yourself, obey me, see what happens. That's the Christian gospel. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. Same as the disciples. Peter was just as cracked up as any of us Or Paul was arrogant intellectually. All of them, crazy people. Just empty syringes waiting to be filled with the power of the Spirit to bring healing into the world. Now that's exciting. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so. What did John, uh, we, we've got to move on here because we're all getting tired. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mind speaks. The only agenda Jesus has for you and for me is that we would learn to be loved by him and to know our identity in him as someone who is absolutely adored by God the Father. There is no other message. Because out of the overflow of our hearts, our lives will speak. If you're not allowing and and don't enter into the love of Jesus there will be no passion to do anything because it's all work. There's no exception. If you and I do not have the love of Jesus beating in our hearts, it's because we have some issues with Him. And it's like any marriage relationship, then you have to deal with the issues. And stop pretending it's something else. There's no other way That's why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's why Jesus challenged his disciples. But he loved them as he challenged them. He just said, listen, you can't get here unless you deal with that. And if you can learn from me, you can wander in the wilderness and God don't change his mind. He just says, whenever you're ready. 1 John 3.8 This is the good part. This is what we're going to be doing. 1 John 3.8 He who does what's a s- oh, what is... No, that's not the reason. Oh, yeah. He, uh, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What's the devil's work? It's brokenness, it's despair, it's pain, it's everything that's not what you would want to have in your life. And Jesus says, I came to destroy that. I didn't just come to destroy that once for all, it has to be destroyed person by person by person. That's the power of the kingdom. The kingdom of God present in the the prison camp is the authority of God to set people free. Jars of clay are weak. And he says, I will be strong if you are weak. What does weakness look like? Well, weakness in strength, take the opposite way around. Weakness in strength looks like arrogance, dogmatic, rigid, conditional, religious, power, all that stuff. That's where weak people try and cover up their weakness with religion and spiritual stuff. It's very obvious. Strength in weakness is coming to terms with the fact that I can do nothing. That looks like peace and joy and patience and kindness and compassion. When I've given up control and say, Jesus, just show me what you want to do. So my life is spent saying, Lord, how do I hear you so that I do what you want me to do? Because there are way too many people running around this earth doing things in the name of Jesus and he never commissioned them to do it at all. But it's easier to think that I know what to do because then I can be self-willed and look good. But it's without power. And so Paul says, and 1 Corinthians 2.15 I love Paul because I I love his mind but I love his humility and I love the fact that he he said it as he saw it and he was so incredibly humble. He said, when I come to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear. And with much trembling. In other words, it wasn't easy for me to come to you. I wasn't so self-assured that I came confident as to what would happen or how you, you would respond But I push through my fear for you. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And one more, Romans 15, 18 and 19. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. What's that about? We do it with the kids when they're three years old, four years old, they go to school for the first time. It's called show and tell. The world desperately needs show and tell. They need to see the power of God and then they want to be told about it. That order. They're really tired of tell. It's not very convicting. So the invitation is and in the end what did Jesus really demonstrate as he was sent by the Father? He demonstrated an incredible trust and love uh, trust of his Father and love of his Father. He said, I only do what my Father tells me and he was so secure in the love of the Father. That's why we come back to saying God's about getting our hearts in touch with him. Not our intellects. Our intellects will follow. But if you want to grow in a relationship with Jesus that has passion and changes lives, spend time with him, learning how to be loved by him and to love him. How do you do that? You start there. Jesus, help me to develop my relationship with you. And out of that, everything else will flow. I'm going to sing you a song, which I used to sing every day to persuade myself that God would be faithful. It comes out of the Psalms, that's where it originated. Because I'm I'm not doing this in any arrogant way, I'm doing this to encourage us, that praise and worship is foundational to building a heart relationship with Jesus. There are many, many times when we're not going to feel like it. There are many, many times when our circumstances are not going to line up with what we would love to see. It was the same for Jesus and the disciples. And the only way we're going to learn any kind of power and strength is to learn to trust Jesus when the waves are high and we feel like we're sinking. It really is. It's no use this hanging on to conferences and going to hyped up things and going, oh, what is so wonderful, and crash and burn the next week and up we go again. It's because the relationship with Jesus is what is so important. And we have to invest in that. And I found that as I sang, and some of you don't sing, so you listen to music, the spirit would break through, but I had to pick up that guitar and I had to do it. Um, And so I'm going to sing a song, and if you, you you want to join in, welcome. And then we'll go straight into another one that you can also sing if you want but uh, you can stand for the second one oh, dear. and let's pray as, as we go through this because this is really uh, leading into communion I mean wherever you are this morning Jesus comes to you and says I love you I know you and wherever you are If you let me, I'll lead you from that place to another part of the promised land. But it begins with uh, you knowing me and just allowing me. And and it's not about us becoming anything we're not. It's about him leading us into what we're not. When the storm clouds form
1: the sky grows dark, I will trust in you, O oh Lord, my God. When the waves roll in high and the waters run down deep, I will trust in you, O oh Lord. For you, O oh Lord are my help and shield You're my refuge night and day, night and day You're my path and you light my way You're my shelter and you're my friend And on you When I'm weary and blind, lost and confused, I will trust in you, Lord, my God. When afraid and insecure, abandoned far from home, I will trust in you. You, oh Lord are my help and shield You're my refuge night and day night and day You're my path and You light my way You're my shelter and You're my friend And on you When the vine bears no fruit, I thirst but the rains don't fall. I will trust in you, oh Lord, my God. When I walk the beach alone and I whisper in the wind, I will trust in you,
0: Step free by you. We just pray for one another that you would take us along that next step that it might be for us to enter into the fullness and the light and the freedom that you have for us.
1: Teach us, Lord, to stay close to you, and abide to you you made us be our prayer as we come to break praise together. Thank you, Father.